0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
1: Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, lee'sheatac.com or call 801 747 Lee's. Out to the T Mobile special guest line we go T Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. From Sports Illustrated, he's our friend Chris Mannix. Chris, how are you? What's going on, guys? Well, uh, Game 6, Chris, uh, wasn't uh, the most competitive game in the world, but uh, so happy that that series went 6, and we certainly got a classic in Game 5.
2: Yeah, and, you know, you, in a way you could almost see something like this coming just because of the amount of energy, you know, Miami expended just to win that Game 5. And I don't say that just by looking at the box score or, you know, players on the floor, but even after the game, you know, the press conferences, you know, Jimmy Butler – Kind of walking gingerly off the podium, you know, just the looks on the faces of the Heat players after Game Five—they were just gassed. I mean, that was that was their their stand right there to prove that they you know they weren't going to be just blown out of these playoffs. And uh, they did it in Game Five, and just you know clearly didn't have anything left in the tank. You know, going into Game Six, that game was over six minutes into the first quarter. Uh, it, it just you just knew that Miami didn't have enough left to make any kind of rally.
0: So now that the Lakers are champions, uh, Chris, how do you evaluate them relative to the pantheon of NBA champions out there?
2: You know, it's, it's hard to, to put them in any kind of upper bracket necessarily, but I think this championship in and of itself is an incredibly big accomplishment. I mean, anybody that's there that points to an asterisk being attached to this just doesn't know what they're talking about. It's just... It was just from start to finish. this season was incredibly difficult. You know, the last three months in that bubble, uh, draining both mentally and physically. Uh, probably more so mentally than anything else. But you know what? What the Lakers were able to accomplish this year was was impressive. And for LeBron James, I rank this championship right behind the championship he won in Cleveland. I mean, nothing will ever top that. That was the pinnacle of his career. But after that, it's this. I mean, to To go through what he went through and this team went through, you know, in January with the death of Kobe, from the work stoppage to the social justice issues to the, uh, you know, second work stoppage early in the playoffs, I mean, there there was a lot of adversity. And, and, you know, a lot of teams had to overcome some some amount of it. The Lakers were able to do it the best and, and ultimately the most.
1: For an unrelated reason, Chris, Gordon and I earlier uh, started talking about uh, players that held on too long and uh, and what were examples of that. And, you know, one thing that LeBron James has done that is superhuman is play at this level for as long as he has with as few injuries as he's had. But someone else here on the station once added up how much extra like uh, time he's played with all his playoff runs. And it's multiple seasons on top of what he's played. uh, What what? What do you think that does for his legacy? Being that durable and playing at this high level for that long, uh,
2: you know, it, look, it, you're never going to convince the Michael Jordan faction that LeBron is the greatest of all time. Just like you're unlikely to move the LeBron faction off his candidacy, you know, for that distinction. But I don't know how you uh, look. I, I watched Jordan as a fan in the 1990s. I've watched and covered LeBron the better part of the last two decades. I don't know how you you go against LeBron in this situation. Granted, Jordan, you know, he, he did it in an era we had to be more physical in that that 90s 90s league. But you know, people often point to the six and 0 record Jordan had in the finals. You know, comparing it to LeBron, but, but Jordan also got beat a bunch of times in the first round, the conference semis. I mean, he didn't always make the finals in the playoffs. Uh, so I think that's a bit of a, a red herring, so to speak, with with what um, you know, with with how you evaluate that. So. I think what, what LeBron did in winning this championship just—if it doesn't cement him as the greatest of all time—I uh, don't know what will in the minds of some people. And, and maybe it's the next few years. I mean, look—you can make a strong case for the Lakers in the next five years if Anthony Davis signs that full max deal. They're going to be among the favorites every single year. And in a couple of years, or a year now actually, because of the calendar, they're going to have the ability to go out and sign a max level free agent uh, and add to that that puzzle. So. I think LeBron has four championships now, two back of Michael, uh, but he's far from done. And if he gets to that that five or six number, I mean, even the most ardent of Jordan supporters, I don't think I'm going to be able to back him.
0: Chris, I want to ask you a question about LeBron because uh, Jake and I were talking about this earlier. Last week I wrote a column about uh, his greatness and uh, and how people – there seems to be a faction of people out there who really don't like LeBron for whatever reason. They all have their own reasons, whatever. But my, my, I wasn't comparing LeBron to Jordan. All I was saying was, hey, appreciate what you're seeing with this guy. If you care about basketball, remember what you're watching because this is something extraordinary and i i don't pay much attention to the blowback i get but i didn't take note of it there's a lot of people out there who are angry at lebron and i don't get it
2: yeah i mean it, it's it's incredibly irrational because lebron you know despite being the most scrutinized athlete ever you know in any era uh has had you know nothing more than the equivalent of a parking ticket, you know, in terms of controversy, you know, going to, to Miami and announcing it in the way he did in 2010, uh, you know, a handful of other maybe missteps in something he might say, but he has been uh, as as good, a a role model or as good, a a face of the league as you could possibly ask for. Um, And his talent is, is undeniable. I mean, I think there are just some people that don't want to acknowledge his, his greatness to a degree. Um, I, I think there's, there's something to the idea that LeBron. You know, there's, a, there's some a little bit of theatricalness to him. I mean, whether it's, you know, kind of a lot of the stuff that came out of the bubble when there was a work stoppage. Well, did LeBron call Barack Obama? Then there was a, even the video from last night where he's, you know, plopping down on the floor in front of all the media and then calling his mom. Like, there's just a lot of you know, a lot of same things sometimes seem staged, and that contributes to to some of the, the the feelings towards LeBron. But I mean, these are, are small things. I mean, LeBron has been a good soldier for the league for, you know, the better part of two decades. And, he, you know, you really have to dig deep to find things that are really wrong with how he's uh, acquitted himself.
1: All right, Chris, I want to ask you about the off season now. Um, can you take us through kind of a step-by-step step, as you understand it uh, in what's going to happen to proceed to look and see what next season is going to look like? Well, I mean, look,
2: you've got, you know, significant dates already lined up the draft November 18th and You know, uh, a few others uh, that are there for agency probably will start soon thereafter, but really everything is predicated on the state of the coronavirus in this country and the state of the ability to get fans back in buildings, and that is not all a vaccine. Although I'm sure that would clearly be preferable, but the NBA would love to have rapid testing readily available for them to distribute at arenas to be able to test people before they come in and. And if not capacity, get you know 60% capacity, 50% capacity, into these arenas. And if that's even an option, the league's going to push to to delay the season as long as possible. I mean, their goal, I can tell you fundamentally, is to get fans back in the in the building. I mean, then they'll they'll wait till February, maybe in March, to to get that going. I mean, they need that, and they want that fan revenue. I and mean, that accounts, as we know, for 40% of of the basketball related income. So. I think you just you know every week follow the the path of the coronavirus and where it is in this country, and where we are in terms of progress being made, you know with both a vaccine and rapid testing. if If those things take significant make significant strides, you know the NBA could be back sooner than later. If they're sluggish, it'll uh, you know, it'll be into February, and then we might even be talking about going into regional bubbles to to start the season. so there's there's just no right no no hard answer for this. There's no firm answer for this because it's all predicated on what we see with uh, the coronavirus.
0: Did I understand you right there, Chris, that the NBA could sanction some sort of testing before people are allowed in the arena?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that's been considered. um, And and again, it comes down to the availability of rapid testing and just how effective rapid testing actually is. Now we've all kind of seen, you know, reports of these Abbott tests or some saliva tests that, Aren't necessarily the most accurate in the world, but you, know, you can get rapid results to them. Uh, I think the NBA is definitely exploring that, you know, for oh. for themselves. Something they would buy and maybe you pass it off on the ticket consumer. Uh, again, th- these are not as readily available as they need to be, but maybe in January they will be. And if they are, I would expect the NBA to take advantage. Of. Like the leagues under no, I mean anybody with a brain knows there's not going to be a vaccine until probably the end of the year, and even then. You're talking about six months before it's widely disseminated to to the public at large. So the NBA is looking at, you know, non-vaccine options, and, and rapid testing is the most uh, most significant of
0: them. Man, I'm hoping hard for that vaccine. I really am, man. It seems like, and I don't know, some people are afraid of it or whatever, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
2: I'm looking forward to it, too, but I don't, like, I mean, I, uh, speaking only for myself, I probably wouldn't be one of the first ones to take it. Um, I'd probably wait three months or so to see – how people respond to it, that's largely because it's become so politicized that I don't know what the reasons would be for it being out at the time that it came out. So I'd probably take some time. I think a lot of people share that sentiment. I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch, but you know, I might wait till April or May to, to take a vaccine, even if it was available months earlier. You know, and I think that's going to be a, a mindset of a lot of people in this country.
1: Chris, can you put a bow on the 2019-2020 season from the Utah Jazz? What uh, what are you taking away from the Jazz campaign this year?
2: I mean, a lot of ups and downs, that's for sure. Um, but I think the way they right of the ship in the bubble, at least structurally within that team, you know, it, it leaves you plenty of reason to be optimistic moving forward. Uh, you know, Gobert and Mitchell, I think everybody agrees, they are two guys you build around. You've got some other good pieces there. And now, it you know, again, falls on Dennis Lindsey and Justin Zanuck and that crew to hit on these draft picks. Um, it's it's not going to be easy for the Jazz to, you know, improve uh, in free agency. It never is. Uh, but if you can, you know, nail these draft picks and get yourself another wing scorer, you're in the mix next season. I mean, the Western Conference we've talked about this is going to be just brutal next year. You know, top to bottom. Uh, so you know, the Jazz I think could just as easily finish in the top three and just as easily finish outside of the playoffs. I mean, given how tough it is on the West, but a lot's going to depend on drafting the development of these draft picks. It's you almost have to be perfect to have a, sh- a chance to contend in the Western Conference. The Jazz have the people and the personnel there that can do it, but um, it's it's not an easy task to, to become a, a true Western Conference
0: contender. Do you put the Warriors at the top or near the top uh, in that regard for next year?
2: Well, I think it depends on what they do with that draft pick. I mean, if they draft like a James Wiseman, um, I, I don't know how much value a rookie is going to give them uh, you know, on, on that team. If they flip it, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of people tell me that to keep an eye on Bradley Beal and, and the Golden State Warriors. I mean, the Warriors can offer that number two pick. They can offer Minnesota's top three protected pick next year, which could be really good, uh, and they could offer Andrew Wiggins. And you know, I know Washington has resisted dealing Beal, but you know that's a, that's an offer they'd have to really think long and hard about, especially with no guarantees about how Beal and John Wall are going to play together with Wall coming back from injury. So, uh, you know, if they wind up with Bradley Beal, you know, they, they're at, the, at worst a co-favorite to win the whole thing. If they have to use that pick and don't get something, you know, veteran for it. Uh, I think it could be a much more open Western conference with the Warriors in it.
1: Wow. Beal, Thompson, and Steph. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah,
2: good shooters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: I'd say that that floor would be pretty spread. Um, our friend Chris Mannix is with us uh, from Sports Illustrated wrapping up the NBA season uh, here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, what do you think becomes of the Clippers? Are, are there going to be major changes there uh, outside of the coach, of course? Um, what uh, can they? What do they need to do this off-season to really put it over the top? Well, I'm not
2: sure that much they can do. I mean, they're going to be pretty capped out and deep in luxury tax once they pay Montres Harrell, maybe pay Marcus Morris. Uh, Jermichael uh, J- Green is in that mix. They've got a lot of guys that they're going to have to pay that – you know, you know, could push them pretty deep in luxury tax territory. So their flexibility is extremely limited. And yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of internal improvements. And you know, a belief that the Clippers clearly have, at least Steve Ballmer has, that this group that won eight of the last nine before going into the the pandemic break, uh, you know, is is built to succeed. You know, and there certainly is a an argument to be made that the the bubble screwed up the Clippers. They had so many issues with guys going in and out. Uh, their chemistry was a mess. There's an argument to be made that you go into next season and the Clippers are once again the favorite. But next season, it's do or die for the Clippers. You've got your two stars that can opt out of their contracts, become free agents. Uh, you don't have any kind of draft capital because you traded it all the way in, in the deal that, that brought you Paul George. So I don't. it's a long way of saying it. I don't think there will be any substantive changes uh, except to just hope that this team gets back on track in a full season uh, with their guys.
0: Same question for the Bucks.
2: I think they'll make a move. Um, it seems unlikely that Giannis signs that max extension with the team. At least that's the, what I'm hearing. Uh, but the Bucks have some assets there. And, and I continue to point to Chris Paul. I mean, the Thunder are going in a different direction. They're rebuilding. Uh, the Bucks can offer a number of different pieces, you know, plus a draft pick and or a young player like Dante DiVincenzo. And Chris Paul just makes too much sense. I mean, he's got a big contract. There's not going to be a lot of suitors out there for him, even though he played like an all-star this year. Uh, he just makes too much sense. He, he gives them a player that can create his own shot, that you know is a playoff performer, and that's something the Bucks desperately need. So if they hope to have any chance of retaining Giannis long-term, they've got to make a move, and Chris Paul, to me, is that obvious move.
0: So the jacked-up uh, revenue stream from this year's season – uh, Jake and I have spent a lot of time trying to figure that out how the league is going to handle it. do you think they spread sp- spread their difficulties out over the next number of seasons to uh to to mitigate this uh this huge uh, sort of downturn from this season
2: yeah it, it's hard to say I mean I think they'll have a bunch of different ideas they'll run it by the union and you know what the union wants and what the NBA wants aren't always in sync if you go back to twenty sixteen when the NBA wanted some cap smoothing. They didn't want to have to see a giant jump in the cap based on the new TV deal. The union said no. The NBA had no choice, and you know we saw that huge spike in the cap. The union's going to carry a big bat in these negotiations. Um, and you know, in talking to Adam Silver, you know, over the over the course of the summer, uh, he knows this is going to be a challenging a challenging negotiation. I mean, it's one thing to do it to negotiate when you've got 75% of players' salaries already paid. It's another thing to have zero percent already paid. And uh, I think it's gonna, you're going to rely heavily on the relationship Silver has with Chris Paul, the union president, the relationship he has with Michelle Roberts. I mean, there's, there's a lot that the, that the NBA's got to figure out here, and I, I don't think anybody has any grasp on how it's, it's all going to play out and what kind of financial structure they'll have when the season ultimately resumes.
1: Well, Chris, we just want to say a hearty thank you uh, for you coming on with us during this wild season. We've never seen anything like it before, and uh, you've been coming on with us weekly, and you're great at what you do, and I think our listeners really benefit from you uh, jumping on with us. So we can't thank you enough, and we hope you have a chance to enjoy what uh, is probably going to be a bizarre offseason.
2: <laughs> no question. Anytime, guys.
1: Thanks, Chris. That's our friend Chris Mannix, uh, your daily assist. We'll um, we'll kind of do a lap this week, Gordon, with our daily assist guests and put a bow on some things, and then uh, I think we'll give him a little time off. But uh, Chris is amazing. Uh, he's amazing at what he does, like I just said right there, and, and our show is better off for his role on it, so we appreciate him.
0: No doubt about that. Uh, Chris is uh, really, really good.
1: No doubt. All right, we'll have more Big Show coming up next. It's the Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.